Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Every believer should know that the command to make disciples and to share the gospel to the unbelieving world was given to them. Yet some of us have found ourselves in a nice, comfortable bubble in which even finding non-believers is difficult. If we are honest with ourselves, we oftentimes are fearful of certain objections to the faith and see this nice church bubble as a comfort that is difficult to overcome. How does a faithful believer kill this sin and reach the lost with the good news of Jesus? But before we get started, Vince, could you tell us a little bit about Academy and why our listeners should take the core module? Sure thing. Yeah, I honestly think the core module of the Academy is the best online training that you can get in apologetics, in the hard questions of faith. Uh, It's online, but it also has significant interactive elements with other people who are taking the module. Uh, And it also has um, conversational tasks and challenges that are right up the alley of um, the questions that are being asked on this episode. So you're actually going out and interacting with people. We're trying to keep it relational. And it's just been really encouraging to see uh, the feedback and actually the concrete fruitfulness that has come from people who uh, are taking this module. A lot of people who were scared of sharing their faith or just felt completely uh, helpless to do so, felt like God couldn't use them, and now they're seeing significant fruitfulness in their lives, and they're enjoying sharing the faith with others. That's really the purpose of the core module. It spans all the major questions in apologetics, gives you a great foundation. Uh, Our entire global team is involved in the actual teaching of the course, and already uh, there are people from how many countries is it that have, have like gone through? About 110 different countries, more than 6,000 people that have gone through that core module. And like I said, the feedback has been uh, stellar. So I hope you'll check it out on the RZIM Academy. Talking about evangelism, that is the topic of the day. So we are going to jump into our first question. This is from David. And this is actually one uh, that really hits home for, for a lot of us who work in ministry because this is, this is something that we have to be intentional about. But uh, this is the question from David. How can I meet and witness to non-believers? David, I definitely feel your struggle. Uh, Vince and I moved to Atlanta just over a year ago, and uh, we suddenly found ourselves living in a new place. And uh, the only uh, people we were really getting to know were either people at church or people we work with who are also Christians. And uh, so we've been kind of wrestling with this the same question. I remember actually really hoping that when we moved into our new neighborhood, um, that maybe we would have some neighbors who were atheists or agnostic or from other faiths or you know anything really. It wasn't picky, but just hoping to meet some people who weren't Christians. And um, I laughed so hard the day we first met our next door neighbor, who's really sweet. He's called Jack and he's uh, 80 years old, but uh, he turned up outside our house wearing an I love Jesus cap. <laughs> it was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to find another way. Um, but honestly, there are so many creative ways you can get to know people. I mean, really, this is a question around how do you, how do you make friends generally? How do you connect um, beyond your your 
social circles if you find yourself in a bit of a Christian bubble. You know, sometimes it's easier when you're at university and then you get older and then you want to go to church on Sunday and um and the and the, the sort of social bubble that we're in can get smaller and smaller. Um one thing that to me is an, an obvious one and probably has occurred to you as well is is through colleagues. I mean, I don't know where you work, but unless you're working for a Christian organization, hopefully you get the chance to meet all sorts of people uh, through your daily interactions. And I think sometimes we um as Christians can feel uncomfortable, we kind of create this like sacred and secular divide where God is what we talk about on a Sunday, but we don't want to bring him into the workplace. And I understand there can be sensitivities around that. But I also think genuinely sharing your life with anybody and building friendship with them for you, if you're a Christian, is going to involve talking about God at some point. And so um, I think colleagues are a natural place to start. But there are also all sorts of other ways you can get to know people. And um, we heard recently about a, um, a cafe that that is happening in Atlanta. It's kind of it basically, I think once a month they put on something like a worldview um, kind of Q&A event where people can just go up, they basically sign up um, say who they are, say their worldview, and then they go up to the microphone, they say um, that the worldview that they come from, whether they're atheist, agnostic, Christian, whatever, and then people can ask them any questions. And we thought, wow, that sounds like a really fun event to get involved in, to learn from other people about how they see the world and give other people the chance to hear about how you see the world. So maybe check out if there's anything like that near you. What about atheist um, societies or humanist groups near you? What about um, joining just local groups? Like maybe there's a group near you that you could join and play ultimate frisbee with or Pilates or join a book group or, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can get to know people. And a lot of my friends have have done exactly those things and, and actually, you know, done it intentionally to want to make friendships. But through that process, just um, started sharing Christ with people and, um, other things you can do, volunteering. You know, that I mean, the beauty of that is you have the opportunity to serve your local community, to serve the poor, and um, but also to meet people who don't know Jesus. And I think, wow, isn't that, that I mean, that's ideal to me. You get to do evangelism and help those who are in need of help and love. And actually, um, we talk about love being the strongest apologetic. What a way to show it. So how about teaching uh, refugees English if they don't speak English or, or serving your local homeless community? Just a couple of ideas about how to meet people. Yeah, I like that. Find the needs around you. There are needs around you in your community. Find what those are and see if you can be a helping hand. And, and I was thinking, as you were saying, Joe, you know, see what groups and communities there are around to join. How much better my parents are at this than we are at the moment. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're part life. of every group. They got the Italian American club. They got the rock and roll club. <laughs> they got all sorts of clubs. So they're yeah. doing a, they're doing they're a great the job with this. Dad is at the gym at 6 a.m. every morning with uh, working out with a 90-year-old. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I feel so inadequate. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe this is a less deep answer than what, what Joe had said, but you know, I think food is a great starting <laughs> point. Says the Italian point. American <laughs> who who loves to eat, but you know, J- Jesus often started with food. I mean, the Bible says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." You know, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and and he with me. We got the prodigal son. His father. What's his first instinct when he's welcoming back the son uh, into grace? Uh, and he's trying to symbolize what that means. He throws a huge party with food, uh, thinking Matthew 22, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So, you know, I think actually food and hospitality more generally is really significant. You know, be the person at work that brings the donuts in randomly just to be a blessing to the rest of your colleagues. Be the person who has the open door 
to their home and make sure that there's nobody at Christmas time that has nowhere to go and make sure they're with you if otherwise they would be alone. Um, throw great parties, <laughs> uh, cook great food, and let all of that be a symbol of the excellence of the God uh, that you worship and that ultimately you want to share about in a more explicit way and in a verbal way. But, you know, even when we put events on here at the Zacharias Institute, you know, to, to the extent that the finances allow and we're always taking that seriously. But, you know, we want the food to be excellent. We want the atmosphere to be excellent. We want the bookstore to be excellent because we want all of that to be consistent with the message of excellence and beauty and grace of God that we're preaching from the front. So sometimes that starting point is the generosity and the grace of food as a symbol, not just as a way of hooking people in or something which is instrumentalist, but as a genuine symbol of the feast that ultimately you want to invite people into. David, what I actually love about your question is it really speaks to our cultural moment because the truth is we're living at a time in in our history where People are lonelier than ever, and it's actually much harder to meet people than it used to be. You know, we don't live in the same places that we grew up. We we move everywhere. But also, you know, Vince often points out everything in our culture is designed to avoid having to interact with people you don't know. You know, we have drive throughs rather than going and sitting in restaurants. Uh, we have things delivered to our door rather than having to go to the grocery store. We... Um, you know, we don't often just go and sit in coffee shops the way we used to, unless you're you're a hipster, in which case that's where you do all your work, and that's awesome. Um, but <laughs> but in, in general, it's it is actually harder to meet people who you don't know, and you know, even social media. We think we're so very connected, but what it means is we're sitting alone in our rooms, and you know, sending like really short messages that you know, limited by the number of characters we've got. But no one is being genuine and building authentic relationships. So I think as far as we as Christians can be countercultural and building community, like Vince is saying creating space where people even just get together and um, we have so many friends who in their church groups will you know that their, their way of, of being outreach oriented is simply to like watch a tv series together a load of our friends just um who are christians started watching 24 and then invited all their neighbors and it turned into this big movie night but that built community they ate together and then you know you build a social group of mixed of christians and people who don't believe but you get to know each other and that's how you form meaningful relationships. I think one of the key pieces to this in terms of how do you witness is just making sure within all that process that you don't make people feel like projects. Um, you know, we're not, the point isn't to tick people off a list and just get through numbers, but actually we're called to love people. So my question would be in all of this, is our goal to build relationship with them? You know, nothing is more um off-putting than a sales pitch <laughs> or when you feel like somebody is just your friend because they're trying to get something out of you or they're trying to change you or they want to do something to you and people can smell that kind of inauthenticity a mile off so I think uh, we need to ask ourselves the question regardless of whether the person I'm building a relationship with ever comes to Christ or not am I still committed to loving them consistently um, or am I in this for a season if I don't get results I'm leaving because if the, it's the latter people can tell and, and really, that's that's not what we're called to. We are called to love sacrificially and we're called to love um, generously and unconditionally, no matter the response that we get or, um, you know, how people may or may not respond to God. Our call is to love. So I think we need to have that in mind, even as we desire for them to come to know God, because um, we want them to experience the fullness of life. But that's coming out of a place of love, not a place of ticking off boxes or lists. I don't think that we need to forget the power of prayer in this as well, mm. um, but not just prayer um, 
to to meet non-believers, but I think we should also be uh, to pray for sensitivity for people who are going to be receptive to the gospel. There is there is an element of that long term, um, that long term relationship building, um, but but ultimately sometimes there are people who who God puts in your path that are literally just receptive mm-hmm. and are ready to hear the gospel. Um, we all know of people who have gone into a gas station or have gone into a situation or whether it's been in an open forum or whatever, where it's literally like, it's like, you, you know, if you're deep in prayer and you say, God, give me the sensitivity to be able to speak to the gospel to those who need it. And you just say, um, I, I just, I feel the burden to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you and has a, a desire for you. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is exactly what I needed to hear at this exact moment. And and people have come to faith that way. Um, so sometimes it's not just like a, a desire to meet people, but sometimes I mean, we meet people all the time. There, are, Betty, uh, which for those of you guys who heard that show, Betty has grew up in the church um, and has been in the church and was at later stages of life and had came to faith uh, late in life uh, because of just God's grace. But, there are there were people believers around her for decades who didn't even know that she was a non-believer. But so pray for sensitivity. Pray to meet people uh, in your life um, that are receptive to the gospel. Because trust me when I say God will give you those opportunities. The harvest is plentiful. Um, non-believers are out there. You just have to be receptive and sensitive to them. No, I couldn't agree more with that. And I hope if you're listening, I hope you'll test. That claim that Michael is making um, in my own life, I have to just say the uh, number of open doors and opportunities that I have had to share the faith with others is directly proportional to whether or not I was actually praying and saying to God, would you please give me an opportunity today to share you with someone? You pray prayers like that. God works in the most miraculous of ways. Absolutely. Okay, let's get us to the second question. And I love this question because this is this is this really kind of hits the question and definitely the, 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 the modern culture of comfort. This comes from Florence. Um, how do you respond to someone who says they worship a god or goddess, or I would actually add, or nothing at all, and has been blessed with a good family, loving kids, and doesn't feel compelled to change? Yeah, Florence, this is such a great question and I encounter this all the time, actually. Um, but one of the things, I just as a starting point, to answering this question, what I want to say to somebody is the only God that you owe your loyalty to is the one who's real. Yeah, amen. Um, and just imagine with me, oh, what I might say to someone is imagine you've been given so many gifts, you know, and they're just sort of anonymously deposited on your front uh, doorstep. And um, over the years, you've been receiving these incredible gifts and you always thought they were coming from a certain person. So you've been sending them thank you notes and gratitude. And um, and then suddenly you discover like years later that actually uh, those gifts were coming from somebody else and you've been crediting crediting them to the wrong person the whole time. Now, to whom do you owe your gratitude for that? Is it the one who you thought had been giving you the gifts or is it the one who actually gave those things to you? And of course, it's going to be the one who who gave them to you. And, um, and now all that to say that I understand when people have been believing, you know, a certain worldview or religion for a really long time, they're going to need some pretty compelling evidence for why they should change, particularly if there hasn't been an event in their life that really shakes them up and leaves them asking those questions. But I think I think it's worth saying that ultimately we should all pursue truth wherever 
truth leads. Um, and it would just be so tragic to miss out on the God who made you just because we'd been confused for a long time and thought it was coming from somebody else. You know, scripture speaks about the sun shining on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and God in his amazing generosity, he doesn't just bless people who already know him. He's generous towards everybody. We see that even in the simple fact that he gives us all the gift of life as a starting point, let alone all the all of the blessings that come on top of that. So um, I think just, just maybe offering that challenge of, but what if it were true? Um, and saying, you know, I'm not asking you to take a blind leap of faith, but if I could um, give you evidence that would help you to believe that maybe... Um, it might be that there is a different God to the one you've believed and he was the one behind all these gifts. Wouldn't you want to know him? Wouldn't you want to thank him? And that might be a starting point for a conversation. Yeah, that's great. And I often like asking people, if it were true, if the Christian faith were true, would you follow Jesus? And I'm often surprised how often people aren't able to say yes to that question. Um, but that's still a good question to ask because then it at least reveals to that person that they're not actually currently in their heart in a position to seek this out in a way, like Joe was saying, that puts truth as the highest value. But that then sometimes niggles at someone for a while and eventually they come back and say, I'm ready to embark on that search and I'd like to journey uh, with you uh, and see what is in fact true. Another thing I would say uh, in this sort of situation, I often find it helpful to start by finding something that you can affirm. Um, you may disagree in significant ways with the other person's worldview and their belief or the god or goddess that they are worshiping, um, but you may be able to find something to affirm. You know, For instance, you know, in this case, the person has been blessed with good family, loving kids. Well, you can affirm the instinct that those are gifts, that those are good things and that they're gifts and that they're not just random happenstance, but that they have been given by someone. Well, that that's a good starting point, you know, for a conversation. That's a common belief. So I think start by finding something you can affirm. And then I would say ask questions. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, ask good questions of the other person, learn from them about their worldview, their God, um, their goddess, and, you know, I'm thinking of our friend, our dear friend, Nabil, and how he came to Christ uh, through good friendship, people who came alongside him and then started asking him questions, uh, journeying with him and asking him questions about the uh, Islamic God, about Allah. And uh, after a while, through questions, Nabil then came to the uh, point of realizing that actually his human father was more loving than Allah, who he had been worshiping, because he had been asked asked these questions about, um, tell us about your God. What is your God like? And people were learning from him about the Islamic faith. But that includes the fact that from an Islamic perspective, Allah uh, loves some people but hates quite a lot of people as well, and his love is conditional. It's dependent on your behavior and on your belief. And then Nabil started to process all of this, and eventually he thought to himself, wait a minute, even my human father loves me unconditionally. My human father's love is not conditional on my belief or on my behavior. So if that's the case, how could it be that God himself, the God that I'm worshiping, has a love which is in some way inferior to my human father? 
uh, and eventually that led Nabil to give his life in a dramatic and incredibly fruitful um, way, which we praise God for, uh, to Jesus. But that was the process, you know, starting by people who found something to affirm, found something to build friendship on, asked difficult questions, and then helped Nabil to process those questions along the way. Another interesting piece about that story is another one of the good gifts that God gave Nabil uh, before he became a Christian was uh, particular religious experiences. You know, sometimes people will say, well, why would someone have a religious experience in another faith? Um, Because surely that would point them to the God they already worship as opposed to the God of Christianity. But um, then I think of Nabil's story where he really had a radical um, religious experience when he was a a teenager, which really convinced him that, that there was a God and that God existed. And I actually think that was a pivotal pivotal piece in his story um, because then when he he came to ask questions about his Muslim faith and realized that that perhaps it wasn't true at that point there could have been the temptation to think well maybe God doesn't exist at all you know and move towards atheism but actually because he'd had this profound experience which seemed to transcend um, a materialistic understanding of the world um, it led Nabil to a place saying no I do believe there's a God the question is what is his name and what does he look like and who is he so sometimes we think that if you have a religious experience you get good gifts within a certain religion that means that's that's the true one but it doesn't always work that way sometimes God gives you good gifts or good experiences is because he loves you and he wants to bless your life, but it doesn't mean that he's not reaching out to you and saying, hi, this the God you've been searching for, the one you've been wondering about, it's me. And I do believe that God is always looking to, um, to reach out to those who don't yet know him, but he's generous along the way, even through, um, through the story and however many years that it may take. I, I think we also uh, need to kind of understand what Christianity is because it is not a guarantee of a good family or loving kids yeah. or of prosperity or of money or of health. That is not the guarantee of what the Christian faith uh, gives you. It gives you forgiveness. It gives you purpose. It gives you it, it gives you redemption. It gives it gives you God. And I think ultimately, when someone says, "I I have a really wonderful family." And, uh, and and wonderful kids, and that's fantastic. That you're right. That is a blessing from God. But you can see a Christ follower who's being who's being oppressed and who's being tortured, and the joy and the purpose in their life, they they wouldn't give that up for anything. Um, ultimately, we are never promised in the Bible um, prosperity. And I mean, look at Job, for example. He had everything taken away from him. I mean, he was. I mean. I don't think the short of the cross, I don't think anyone suffered more than Job in in, in Scripture. Um, ultimately, but what he had was is he had God, and he had God who who ultimately would be glorified in in that suffering. But ultimately, when we get when we get Christ, we get the ability to be able to praise God and to have a relationship with God, even when we don't have these things. And that is that is way better than a, a, a wonderful wife, and I'm sorry, sorry, honey, I, I do love you very much, but Christ <laughs> is even better than you and even better than my, than my children because what we get with that is not just in the short frame of this life but goes on forever. Mm-hmm. I am going to pay for that one. 
Well, maybe one way to redeem that is to say when you when you have crisis in your life, it actually helps you to love other people yes, more as well. Yes, there we go. That's what I meant so, to say. You know, if you have these great <laughs> relationships in your life, what better way to be a blessing to them than to be in relationship with a God who enables you to love them more? She, she so would there agree you with go. that. That was, that was, that was me would. trying to rescue you, Michael. <laughs> Get Michael off the couch. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. no. She, she would agree with she loves Jesus more than me also, thankfully. Um, but, the, but the other thing I want to say to that, you know, because Vince mentioned asking questions and you know, affirming the goodness of the gift of family. But but one way, one question you might be able to ask from that experience would be to say, you know, what um what kind of God would give these kind of gifts? Um, because if the most meaningful and valuable thing in your life is relationship with other people, may, then maybe that might point to the character of a God who made you for relationship. And could it be that these gifts are wonderful gifts that point to something beyond, to an ultimate relationship that you were made for? And and which God of the gods available, as as Michael already said, um, could be a God who's actually offering you relationship, who's actually offering you himself. It's not just about paradise. It's not just about um, being reincarnated into another life. But this is a God who offers him his very self to you um, for eternal relationship with him. And so maybe it's worth looking at what are the things we value in life and what do they tell us about what we were made for and what might that God be like who we were made for? I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I had an experience when I first became a new believer where I, I – I, I knew just enough to be dangerous, and I was actually at a, this business conference, and this, this an atheist came up to me, and we had we started having a gospel conversation. It was actually my first one, so it was uh, it was it, I I don't even want to think about how bad I was in sharing my faith. I just knew I loved Jesus and wanted to talk about him. But he he said something, and he, he literally said, "I don't need God." And I know that I used some horrible analogy. I think it was like you didn't – I'm not joking. I literally said this. You didn't know you needed an iPhone until you had one. Um, and it was, just, it was a terrible <laughs> – it was a terrible analogy. Fair. But, uh, <laughs> but, but the reality was uh, if I could go back in time – and, and and sit down in there. Obviously, I would have been able to be more equipped to be able to say something other than an iPhone. Um, I would have said something that's like, you don't need a belief. You don't need a, a, a religion. You need a relationship. You need forgiveness. You need redemption. And unless that's not something you need. It's something that God offers. Um, and that's ultimately what I wish I was able to go back. And I, I, I know this guy is not listening to this call, but or this 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 show. But or I, I, maybe I'll pray that he is. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, that's it. It's not about needing anything. It's it's receiving the offer that God gives us, and that is just amazing. Mm. Well, that goes into our third and final question from Julia. How do you overcome fear in sharing the gospel? Yeah, and I, I think this picks up well. On that story that you told, you know, Michael, you said, I wish I had been equipped. Um, and, you know, you may or may not have been feeling, you know, fear in that situation, but you didn't feel prepared, you know. And that's that's just one aspect, I think, of overcoming fear in sharing the gospel. But I think it is part of it uh, that we can be prepared, you know. Uh, we know the questions that we wish people don't ask us because we don't want to have to answer them because we don't know what we would say. Well, we can do some preparation on those questions. Another thing I love to be prepared with is questions. Uh, I love to be prepared with good questions 
to ask people. I think so often we find it so difficult and fearful to talk about Jesus because we spend so much of our time talking about iPhones that then the, <laughs> that then the, the, the transition from there iPhone to go. Jesus, <laughs> the transition from iPhone to Jesus feels like too big of a jump. But if we actually were in the habit of, you know, talking about meaningful things. And so I have, you know, I actually just pulled it up in front of me as I was speaking, you know, this list of questions that questions that I love most. What was the best part of your week? What was the worst part of your week? What's been on your mind most recently? What are you good at? What are your dreams for the future? What were you like as a child? Do you think you're different now? In what ways? These aren't explicit questions about Christianity, but they're deep, meaningful questions. And I find if you're just in the habit of talking about meaningful things with people, then those are the sorts of conversations that are actually quite natural to bring the gospel into and to find yourself in gospel conversations that, you know, don't make you feel scared because they're actually the natural extension of the conversations that you're you're already in. And then I was also remembering, Joe, when we were on uh, mission, I wonder if you were thinking of this as well, at a university campus. And um, was it Angel? Uh, I think it was Angel, one of our students who was on mission with us. And uh, and he shared, he was one of the leaders, but then he shared with the group of students on the second day of our five-day mission um, that someone had encouraged him because he had expressed to them that he was feeling fearful and scared about sharing the gospel. Uh, and he, and the, and what the person encouraged him about was to do it scared. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and for some reason that line really helped him. And, and he re- remembered Jesus saying, you know, not my will, but your will be done. He remembered some of our RZIM team in places around the world where their lives are, are very much in danger because of the way that they are willing to proclaim and share the Christian faith. And so sometimes that just encouragement that it's okay to do things scared um, sometimes, you know, uh, proposing to Joe was was scary, uh, you know, and not even because I was unsure, you know, of, of how she was going to respond, but it's just the magnitude of the occasion. And so there is something healthy about feeling some of that sense of the uh, expectancy and even the nerves of sharing the gospel because it is an incredible thing to be able to do, uh, and it is an occasion every time you get that opportunity. So uh, if you do, if you are feeling that, that's okay. Uh, and sometimes it's just doing it scared, doing it fearful. That's some of the most significant steps you can take. Uh, and I found in my own life that those same emotions, which initially were emotions of fear or being scared or being nervous— Kind of that uh, that uneasy feeling in your stomach. I can literally feel it in my stomach. I now find that when I get prompted by God to share the faith with someone or I'm in a conversation with someone and I see there's an open door to share the faith, I probably physically, biologically feel exactly the same thing in my stomach, but it's no longer the feeling of fear or of being scared. It's actually the feeling of uh, excited nerves, of expectation, because I started out just doing it scared. And over time, I built up more and more and more evidence that every time I did it scared, God came through in a significant way. And so eventually you just get more and more expectant about what God's going to do in those situations. I think it's also helpful to realizing who you are. Um, God, the God of the universe, has called you his own. You are a child of God. Honestly, if we really believe that, how scared would we be about the approval or disapproval of men? Yeah, that's so good, Michael. I am 
I've been really challenged recently because I've been I was reading last week a, a history of the early church in the first like <laughs> 30 years or 40 years Ooh. after Jesus's death and um Honestly, the more I was looking at it, the more I was like, this is a complete miracle that the church even exists in the world today. It's astonishing that it wasn't stamped out immediately. I mean, like the, the biggest Christian churches um, in the first 30 years after Jesus was the church in Rome and the church in Jerusalem. And what happens? The church in Rome is like crushed under Nero in in the 60s and both Peter and Paul are put to death there. And then, you know, you, you hop over to Jerusalem and what happens in, in that same century, James, the head of the church there, is killed. The whole church is scattered and the whole of Jerusalem is destroyed. So, um, And all of these Christians are being put to death for their faith. They're being persecuted. Everyone hates them. Everyone wants to kill them. And, and I was reading this and I, I was just thinking, my goodness, like, how did they keep going? What made them so tenacious? Like, what made them so fearless in terms of spreading the gospel so rapidly and so widely. I mean, the distances they got to within those first centuries, despite all the opposition and thinking, Lord, what do they have that I don't have? You know, how are they doing this? And um, and then I was thinking about um, that line in the Gospels when the transfiguration takes place and they really see Jesus for who he is. And and the line that, that describes that experience of the disciples had suddenly all they could see was Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, how much was that like the statement over their lives? And um, and I've been waking up the last week with those words ringing in my ears. Actually, suddenly all they could see is Jesus because they knew Jesus and they loved Jesus. And, and, and that love they had for him, the transformation he brought in their lives, that was what motivated them to go out. And I felt God really challenging me in this new year. Um, you know, because sometimes you feel a little bit on the back foot in apologetics because you're dealing with so many hard questions and issues. But I felt felt this challenge of God saying, Joe, I didn't call you to be an apologist for against the multiverse theory, even though it's important that I created the universe. I didn't call you to be an apologist um, for Leviticus 18, even though, you know, it is the word of God. I didn't call you to be an apologist uh, for penal substitution, even though I died for your sins. And that is absolutely key. I called you to be an apologist for Jesus. And I think if we remember that, that we don't have to know everything, we don't have to defend every doctrine. And we don't have to be encyclopedias who recite everything, but but do we love Jesus? Um, do we have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you know and love somebody, you can talk about them and you can you can talk um talk their ear off about how amazing they are. So I think if we're rooted in that love where all we see is Jesus, then I think that overcomes our fear. Well, guys, that is all the time we have today. Uh Vince, sum it up for us. Great. Well, looking back at these three uh, excellent questions, I think. Uh, the first one, uh, you know, we have a show and tell faith. If we're not showing it, then there's no use telling it. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about people that we can meet, relationships we can develop so that we can share the faith, let's make sure we're showing the faith through generosity in all sorts of ways that brings us into meaningful relationships that gives us an opportunity uh, to share Christ. Great second question um, asking about uh, people who are worshiping other gods and let's interact with them with love. Let's find something we can affirm. Let's ask good questions and let's not be afraid of sharing the faith. Jesus, while we were still sinners, came and died for us. That's, to me, perhaps the most amazing verse in the entire Bible, that while we were still opposed to him, that's when he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. If we can treat those who disagree with us in that way, what a great starting point that'll be. And then finally, this question of fear. Uh, It's one that I know every one of us, Michael, Joe, and myself uh, can relate to. I mean, I think just back last week, Ravi and I were speaking to an audience uh, of thousands at a university campus 
and I'm thinking they can just ask any question they want, and I'm going to be standing up here in front of thousands of people, maybe with nothing to say or with the wrong thing to say. And someone sent me this verse from Isaiah 55 to encourage me, uh, and this really gave me a peacefulness um, as I uh, worked through my own nerves and fear in that instance, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you as well. So it's Isaiah 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Guys, thank you so much for for joining me. Thank you guys for listening and we will catch you next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.